everyone and welcome back to episode number 182 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. So as some of you might be aware, we've been away for the last few weeks on holiday, visiting a number of places which we'll get into on this episode I think. But it's good to be back behind the mic, Tierra and myself, and we can't wait to get stuck into this episode. Yeah, it does feel really good to be back because, boy, a few weeks away from podcasting, from work, from, I guess, our normal bodybuilding life and bodybuilding bubble, right? Mm. (laughs) But we are recording this now on June 24th, 2023. And for the best part of about the last month or so, you and I have been traveling about halfway around the world. So we spent three and a half weeks total away and we spent... A week in the USA in the San Juan Islands, which is a group of islands right off the west coast of Washington, Washington State, that is not Washington, DC, right on the US Canadian border. And we got to spend a week there, which was just absolutely beautiful, visiting my grandparents. Then we flew over to the UK and we spent a week in both London and Oxford visiting more family members and exploring a whole bunch of colleges at Oxford and just doing a whole bunch of sightseeing, which was really neat. And then we flew over to Cyprus, which is a country and island right off the coast of Greece. And we spent a week there mainly because we were celebrating my sister's wedding. But again, just got to catch up with a lot of family members from all over the world. And boy, three different countries, three different very unique weeks, but what a flipping trip, Jack. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a trip to remember. And yeah, why don't we discuss a little bit more about it for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to know, like, what were some of your highlights? Let's say, start with the US. What were some of your highlights spending some time in the US? Yeah, so I think overall, just the whole theme of that portion of the trip was amazing and seeing that part of the world which I've been to the US before but not that part of the west coast and combination of the like the climate was I'm a big fan of sort of not it not being obscenely hot in summer and it was a nice probably 20 to 23 degrees and even less in the summertime there Um, lovely blue water things that you can actually do in the water like I think that was one of the major differences between the US and Cyprus is that interestingly in Cyprus, like there's nothing in the water. Like Mm. it's a lot of rock. There's no coral. There's no fish anymore because it's been overfished. Whereas in San Juan, we were able to go fishing, uh, which was probably one of my highlights there. Just kind of that day in general, which was uh, the Wednesday we were there and we were able to, someone very generously gave us a tour of the of a number of different islands. And I think, how much did we spend on fuel that day? Was it 400 oh. US dollars or something? Hundreds, yeah. yeah. My grandparents, uh, one of their neighbors who owns a winery right across the street from them, uh, he has a boat down in the marina and he thought it'd just be fun to take us out cruising, which was so awesome. But yeah, we got to see a number of different islands. Again, I encourage you guys right now, while you're listening to this, just Google the San Juan Islands, USA. S A N 
J-U-A-N Islands, San Juan Islands. It's a whole group of islands. They live on San Juan Island in Friday Harbor, but it is just absolutely stunning. Like mm. if you ever see photos of kind of, you know, just North America in general, kind of US, Canada, you know how you see pictures of like big lakes, tall pine trees, like blue water, blue skies. It's just, it's like that, you know, it's just these beautiful islands in the Pacific. And uh, it was such a place to travel to and just so relaxing. My grandparents, they live in this beautiful house that's right on the water's edge on the coastline. And they've got these two big rocks right in front of their home off the deck. And all of these harbor seals come up during the day after they've fed on a bunch of salmon and they just lay and bask in the sun all day on these big rocks. And there's eagles coming in. There were Canadian geese everywhere. There were deer in the backyard. Like it's so American. <laughs> It was amazing. Even even a really hilarious part of our trip was right after we got off the plane and we had to cross the, because we landed in Vancouver and we had to cross the border into the US. But my dad, you know, the uh, Canadian slash American that he is, met up with one of his buddies just conveniently at a Starbucks. So we pulled up to this Starbucks straight out of the airport and uh, in the back seat of his car, he had this big duffel bag. It almost looked like a drug trade or a drug deal or something, but they were just these big chunks of moose and deer meat. How much it, it would have been, that bag was heavy, like, about 25 kilos. Yeah, it was a lot of meat, but very generous because my dad travels over there every year with his friends and uh, they go hunting um, like up near Alaska and stuff. You know, what a boy's trip, right? Mm, hunting and fishing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we got a whole bunch of moose meat and uh, it passed through customs, you know, of course. And we got to actually make a whole bunch of like jerky while we were over there, which was really cool because all of these little things that I grew up with, Jack, which are really special and like, you know, Canadian to me, I just thought it was really cool that you got to experience those side of things too. Mm. Yeah, I think your dad enjoyed it as well. Yeah, so the US was just incredible. Yeah, it was such a lovely trip and we spent about a week there. And then we uh, got back to Vancouver and flew over to London. So what were some of your favorite highlights of, you know, once we got into the UK? Yeah, so my I've got some family in the UK. My auntie, grandmother, some of my other more distant family on my dad's side, and two of my brothers. So uh, one of my brothers, Daniel, like he was very generous. He allowed us to stay at his place, which is like literally in the center of Oxford. You can't really get more central, and that was really nice just to see him. And he kind of showed us around for quite a few days, just visiting the different colleges. He he just finished his PhD at Oxford and he's about to commence his medical degree there in September. So he had access to all the colleges. We were even able to go to a college dinner at Brazenose College and kind of get dressed up. And um, it was actually a uh, like an interaction night or a transfer night with Cambridge. So there was some other students from Cambridge University there and um, the, the food was surprisingly quite good as well, mm. considering it was like a, there were what, maybe about a hundred people there. Yeah, it was, it was really nice catering, quite fine dining. Mm, as you can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a step up from, you know, your and I's oatmeal with a scoop of protein in the microwave sort of thing. Like mm. it was a nice 
three course meal. <laughs> you know, you had to be very specific about which spoon you used or which fork you used, which I always mess those sort of things up because I'm like, it's a fork. <laughs> yeah, there were, wasn't, uh, wasn't like there are a hundred pieces of cutlery. <laughs> but there were definitely more than just one, which we're yeah. used to eating with. <laughs> mm. But yeah, Oxford was incredible. You know, London, we were there in London for two days and I actually turned 26 in London. I never thought I'd be celebrating my 26th birthday over in the UK, which was kind of neat. But we did a bit of sightseeing there and stuff. You know, we went to some museums. We saw the big tower bridge and we just did a lot of walking that day. Like we went out to a very traditional English pub, which was, you know, kind of neat and saw some like statues and stuff. But I feel like there's only so much you can really do in London. I don't know. For sightseeing, I there's probably a lot you can do, but in between the two, Oxford had my heart. Like Oxford mm. almost made me want to go back to university. Like it was, it's hard to describe because it's like, so what did you do? And like, it's like, you feel like you did so much because you just walk everywhere because like the city is literally built around the university. And still I'm trying to get my head around that because there's like how many colleges are there? So, I think there's almost 30 or yeah, just over 30. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it's like colleges with a sprinkle of university sort of thing. Or I'm still trying to get my head around like is there a main campus that then people just dorm in the colleges or people do actually study at the colleges? People will study at the colleges. There isn't really a main campus. Like mm. the the main sort of area is the Radcliffe Common, which is the, very close to the tower that we climbed up. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many towers. There's so many colleges. Like they're all like hundreds of years old. I believe it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest university in the world. Yeah, I don't think it's the oldest, but it's, I think Cambridge is even a little older, but it's over, almost a thousand years old. Yeah, but lots of Harry Potter vibes because they mm. filmed a lot of Harry Potter, you know, there. So we got to like walk through different dorms. We got to go into actually like the Harry Potter dining room, which was actually quite neat. I was imagining a lot of candles hanging and floating in the sky, but mm. yeah, that was really neat. We even went punting on the Oxford river, but it's just such a walkable city. You can literally walk everywhere. It's almost kind of like Melbourne, but university, <laughs> but like they actually have rules on how tall you can build certain buildings. And like, yeah, there's just, it just almost looks like there's just castles everywhere and very, very neat. So just an amazing atmosphere there in Oxford, which was really fun. And I've always had this idea that when you visit the UK, it's going to be quite gray and drizzly and gloomy. Maybe that is the way it actually is, but we lucked out because our entire trip, it did not rain a single day. It was like mm. basically clear blue skies and sunny every day. There were a few clouds, but no rain. Yeah, we definitely got very lucky. Yeah, so Oxford was very cool. And then we uh, you know, got ourselves to Gatwick Airport and then we flew over to Cyprus for a week. And we got to spend an entire week there. My parents, they rented this big Airbnb that was like right on the coastline because I'm one of six kids and we just needed a big house because everyone was coming from different parts of the world to be reunited, including our partners like Jack. <laughs> and uh, it was just so much fun to obviously stay in this big, it was like a three story apartment thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was really cool. Um, but that was a very unique place, very different. I'd say if you were to think about like a relaxing portion of a holiday, that was it with mm. like the pool, you know, the, the beach, the coastline, that, that was just a very more relaxing week. And I think pretty appropriate to kind of finish the trip off on. 
yeah, definitely the part of the trip closest to Australia or closest mm. to what you'd go and do in Thailand and Bali and stuff. It was just mm. in Europe and different culture, of course, different language. And yeah, a lot of history around Cyprus. It's been one of those countries where it's been owned by a bunch of different countries and people uh, throughout the uh, more recent times and in Middle Ages as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we visited a few different places inspired by Greek mythology and by the more historical and religious sites as well. Mm, yeah, so like things like Aphrodite's rock and Aphrodite's pools and... Yeah, if you actually want to hear or read about a pretty interesting story to do with the whole Aphrodite's rock thing, maybe just Google that because it does involve a bit of uh, unfortunate castration and (laughs) just some interesting things about that rock. But either way, pretty beautiful and a pretty um, interesting story to say the least. But yeah, Cyprus was really cool. Um, It was just really nice to obviously relax it was beautiful like the coastline is so long and they've got this just really long path where you can just walk for kilometers and kilometers and hours and hours and uh, it was really nice to go on morning walks there every day and my sister she just had the most beautiful wedding right at the end of the week and it was right on the coastline in the afternoon and it was sunset and it couldn't have just been more celebratory and gorgeous and yeah, man, what a what an amazing trip overall. Three different countries, three very unique places, just so eye-opening. And it just goes to show that, you know, people say all the time that like, you know, traveling, it really does open your eyes and uh, it's really important to travel. And you and I, we've been so in the thick of our own lives with studying and starting our business and everything to do with bodybuilding, which we absolutely love and it's our number one passion. But This is the first time ever that we'd taken more than just a few days away from our business ever since kind of starting TBD back in 2018. And you and I have been together now for the best part of over seven years, but it was just truly so refreshing to step out of our little bodybuilding bubble and see the world through a completely different lens and experience new things because the way that we've kind of architected our life and you know there's there's no fault or there's nothing wrong with it in any sense it is a choice that really serves us and our goals and our aspirations in life but we have architected our life so that our environment is just bodybuilding 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 we kind of live in a bit of an echo chamber where we're always having the same discussions we're exposed to the similar things on social media you're going to the same gym environments etc but I think that it's really important every once in a while to actually step back, step away and uh, take a step into the big wide world to realize that like bodybuilding, it's awesome and we love it with all our hearts, but like, geez Louise, is it a bit pigeonholed? Yeah. I mean, I would say the same that goes for any person who aspires to be one of the best at any industry. Mm, I'm not denying that at all. Mm. So yeah, I mean... I agree that it was, it's great to experience different things and I had a great time doing so. And I think some people might do that and be like, okay, maybe bodybuilding isn't for me. Maybe I do want to experience things like this more often. And I think we both came back, like I would say for the first two weeks, like I was very thoroughly enjoying the holiday and I wasn't looking forward to coming back. And 
didn't really think about bodybuilding much at all. I still did a small amount of work while I was on holiday, but like nowhere near as much as I would usually do. And, but I would say in the third week while in Cyprus, like I was looking forward to getting back to my regular routine and having a bit more monotony in my life and getting back into training. And that wasn't, I think maybe 10 years ago, that would have been dictated by the lack of training or lack of uh, regimentation over nutrition. And I would have been thinking, oh, I'm going to start losing muscle or I'm worried about what I'm eating. But this time it wasn't the case. Like the case was, I just genuinely enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy my job. I enjoy bodybuilding. And um, if anything, I, I did enjoy having, especially nutrition. I enjoyed having more flexibility around nutrition and just intuitively eating for three weeks. Um, training wise, I, I would, I, I missed training. I would say definitely by the end. Mm. And it's been a bit of an interesting, wouldn't say a shock to the system, but it, it's certainly noticeable when you do take that much time off mm. of training. Yeah, man, what you just said, there's like so much to unpack there. Cause yeah, it is interesting across the three weeks. I think that very first week was just like, we just take, took a, like a really big step back in terms of just our normal life right? Because we are accustomed to religiously training five days per week, tracking everything with our food, you know, our clients between us checking in with about and having different calls and stuff with nearing a hundred people per week. Like it's a lot. So going from that to then almost zilch in terms of intuitive eating, we were training like one to two times per week on average over the entire trip and really just kind of stepping outside of that bodybuilding world, even on social media, like particularly for like the first week and a half, like I was only going on Instagram at God knows what time I knew what time it was in my time zone, but I didn't know what time it was in anyone else's well in the Australian time zone, probably the exact opposite. So people are usually asleep when I'm awake and I would just consolidate a bunch of things that I documented like photos and stuff throughout the day and then just upload things on my story. But compared to usual, I wasn't consuming any content on Instagram. Like we saw very, very few stories, didn't really scroll the feed at all. Like didn't listen to any podcasts. And I just took like this really big step back and I just got to see everything else, which wow. I was just like, holy moly, <laughs> I really have been living in a little bubble. And uh, this is kind of nice to be having new discussions with new people. I remember you and I even had a talk on one of our morning walks where we're like, we invest so much time and energy and lives into our physiques. And like, this isn't a complaint or it's just an observation. Like absolutely no one on the trip commented on mm. our bodies at all <laughs> even yeah even when we were in cyprus and we obviously went swimming without um tiara was in a bikini and yeah. stuff and like yeah i think that's also the interesting part about like we're not saying we have the best physiques ever mm. but like you would hope that it's obvious that we do train yeah. and but i think that's also plays into natural bodybuilding mm. as well no but it didn't bother me in any sense because i know that the reasons why i do bodybuilding the physique is just a byproduct of my big why. Like I genuinely just love a lot of other components of bodybuilding in terms of who it makes me as a person. I think the physique is just a bonus, which you end up with in the end. But there was just an interesting observation to be like, man, we pour so much into this and the byproduct is our bodies, but not a single discussion that we had with anyone was 
which was really nice. It wasn't about our physiques. It was about other worldly topics, <laughs> mm. which, uh, which was really nice because obviously everything else we talk about, it's always related to body composition, nutrition, training, etc. So yeah, very, very eye-opening and just, uh, just like a big breath of new fresh air. <laughs> but that was an interesting observation. But yeah, with, with training, we, in, a, in three and a half weeks, we would usually train around 18 times across the whole three and a half weeks. We only got in six sessions and they were just signing up to a, a gym that we could find and basically just doing a bit of a mix of a full body session. And that was really interesting in itself, I think, because, you know, you we've heard in the literature and we've even parroted it before because it's been shown that the amount of training volume that you actually require to just maintain your physique is like around one ninth of what is required to actually build new tissue and really build your physique. And we've read that, you know, we've told our clients that we've tried to provide them with reassurance, but we never truly had anecdotal evidence and proof that that could be the case until this trip. And I think we did a pretty good job, Jack, of demonstrating that from going from an 18 sessions down to just six full body sessions, not really tracking things, just using different pieces of equipment and stuff, just, you know, getting a bit of a stimulus in there. But we, we didn't, we, we were truly able to maintain our physiques. If anything, it actually turned out a little bit of the opposite, mostly from the nutrition side of things. But, uh, you know, we, we didn't necessarily come back, you know, heavier. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I lost about, um, just over three kilos mm. and, I think some of that, probably at least two kilos of that would have been reduction in water weight from reduced inflammation because I'm training less. Mm. Also, definitely my carbohydrate intake would have been incredibly lower. Mm. Uh, my fats would have been much higher just because of the foods we were eating. And yeah, so maybe I did lose a little bit of actual weight, but a lot of that would have just been water. And I think that in regards to the training, it definitely gives the illusion that like you, you have lost muscle mm. because like you're flatter, you don't have as much pop and fullness cause you haven't been training as much and you don't have quite the same amount of endorphins associated with training on a regular basis as well. So I can see why when people do go away for maybe one to three weeks and they don't train or they train infrequently, I can understand why they think they have lost muscle, but mm. I think in reality they they haven't uh, or sure if i think if you were sedentary for three weeks you would lose mm. some muscle but i don't think either of us really lost much muscle i think coming back i am noticing some small subtle changes in my physique again like even if that was muscle like it's not really worth thinking about that mm. anyway because what's done is done and i don't regret it now it's just time to get back into the regular routine and I definitely have we both noticed some drop-offs in our strength for sure mm. in, uh, in some movements I think just the big compounds yeah like the ones we did less frequently like for example I wasn't able to do smith machine squats at all it's one of my most intense movements I literally had to take that down from like over three and a half plates almost four plates down to three plates mm. And I'm assuming it's, it's, yeah, I won't lie. It's probably going to take me maybe a month to get back to where I was. But again, like it's an opportunity to reset some movements in terms of execution and yeah. 
<laughs> to be fair, we both did come right off the plane and we got straight to Riggs gym the next morning and uh, went and tried to tackle legs, right? So I'd say a big component of that too would just be mentally. Like mentally, we had not been exposed to those sort of heavy weights. So trying to go back in and do your, you know, a top set of your big compound that you'd previously left, left off on. Like I tried to, I did my lunges and, uh, I left off doing like 105 kilograms and I dropped mine down to two sets of 10 with just 80 kilograms. Right. But what I think the biggest thing was for me is like my cardiovascular fitness or my cardiovascular endurance with lifting. Cause like the weights didn't feel heavy at all. But it's the case of like, I was just out of breath. (laughs) It was almost embarrassing because I was trying to have a conversation with Rachel at the gym, who's an ICN figure pro recently interviewed on uh, Lawrence's podcast. I was just trying to tell her I really enjoyed her podcast episode. I could hardly speak. I just finished a set of lunges and yeah, I'm usually puffed, but like I literally couldn't catch my breath. I was almost like, wow, am I just really unfit? (laughs) So I think it's almost like, cardiovascularly but the trip as well like we kind of if you want to call it a detox but we did take a bit of a break from being so heavily stimulated and even taking a few supplements that we're accustomed to like first time in our lifting lives that we didn't take any creatine we didn't travel with creatine we only took protein powder for convenience and I didn't actually drink caffeine at all during the trip. I'm accustomed to having uh, a few teaspoons of instant coffee in the morning plus a pre-workout before I train. So I'm usually pretty stimulated and ready to go. During the trip, I didn't have any coffee, like caffeinated coffee. I drank decaf coffee and we didn't have any pre-workout either. So I think even not having that sort of caffeine exposure too, Jack, which was appropriate. You know, you're on a holiday. You don't need to be amped up and stimulated to go do like a full body session at a, (laughs) at an Oxford uni gym or something. Yeah. I still had some instant coffee Mm. upon wake, but I didn't have any pre-workout. Yeah. Mm. So I think it'll, it'll take us a few weeks to get back to those big compound movements and those sort of levels of strength. But I I would say, I don't think that we've actually lost actual muscle. (laughs) I think like you alluded to, we've just probably lost like just the the neural component and also just, just the confidence with lifting those really heavy weights as well. Um, and just a bit of that fullness, but I think that should come back with just within a few weeks, but hell, does it make you appreciate or what you're like, damn, before I left, I, I I'm actually decently strong, right? Like I can actually lift some pretty heavy weights and even recovery too, like doing five hard training sessions per week. Like we just finished our third one and I even had to modify quite a few things because I felt like my glutes were going to rip off the bone. (laughs) Just the soreness have not experienced that in years. Yeah. I'm pretty sore as well. (laughs) I think, yeah, especially in full body sessions, you do like maybe three to six sets Mm. for per muscle group. Whereas we've been back to our regular, like, I'm doing push and pull and legs and you do more than that essentially. Mm. So there's going to be potentially more soreness. Mm-hmm. So what about nutrition? Let's touch on nutrition. Cause you know, first time in our lives basically, or let's I almost feel like we have two components to our lives. We've got our pre lifting life and our lifting life. But I guess in terms of our lifting life, first time in what eight plus years that we've actually taken a truly intuitive eating approach. 
For longer than a week, yeah. Mm, yeah, for longer than a week. Yeah. And I think, as per what I said before, like, 10 years ago, that would have freaked me out. Mm. Uh, especially, like, right after finishing a mini cut. But I was, yeah, looking forward to it. And I'm very confident in my skills to intuitively eat, especially to maintain, or in this case, I lost a little bit of weight. Um, if I intuitively ate, like, which technically doesn't fit the definition, but if I intuitively ate to lose weight, that would have been probably a little bit more stressful. Mm. But obviously that wasn't the case. And yeah, I think there certainly were challenge, some challenges, not particularly challenging, but just very, very, very different to what we would usually do. Like mm. meals were very haphazard because uh, just to clue everyone in, we stayed we with Tierra's parents the mm. whole trip pretty much other than in Oxford. Uh, and then in Oxford, we were staying with my brother. So mm. we were pretty much uh, follow along with other people's eating routines, which as you can imagine, the average person's eating routine is very different to <laughs> how we would usually eat. We're used to having four meals a day at, at on clockwork essentially yes. whereas the only meal we had ourselves was breakfast mm. pretty much for the whole trip at literally every mm. single other meal was done by um either cooked by ourselves for someone or cooked in conjunction with someone to eat as a family so mm. uh yeah i think even just being in a different country in a different part of the world too in terms of when the sun rises and sets played a big role in it as well and now i truly understand too like a number of clients I've worked with before or people I've done consultations with who eat dinner very late. It's, I would almost say it's more common in like the US and over in Europe because especially in the summertime, the sun doesn't go down till like eight, nine. In a, man, in, in North America, sometimes like 11 p.m. Like the days are so much longer, which is so lovely because you have more to the day. But of course, if the sun's not going down till nine to, or 11, why are you going to eat dinner at 5.30 or 6? You know, you're still out on a boat or you're still out on a hike or something because the sun's high in the sky. Mm. So that was a big thing too, I think, because when we're home, we're usually eating breakfast at like 7 a.m., lunch is 12, you know, our third meal is like 3, and then our dinner is at 6. But everything kind of just got a bit skewed. And I'd say more often than not, we, were, we weren't eating four times per day. We were eating three. So well, you would try your best to eat four. <laughs> I'd try to eat four, but then like Which I, I never understood. Yeah, to be well, because I was like my third meal, because I was like I need to eat something. But then my third meal was just late, and then it would back on to dinner as well. And I was like, I'm not even hungry for dinner. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to say the least. But it, for you and I who are accustomed to eating all of our meals, like we always have just our foods that we prepare ourselves. I'd say only 50% of things were prepared ourselves. Like we said, breakfast almost every single day and then sometimes a lunch. But the other 50% was either prepared by someone else, like a family member, and my sister Cassidy's vegan, so all the food that she prepared was vegan. Um, and then my parents cook as well. And then the rest was a bunch of meals out at restaurants, which mm. was new for us too. <laughs> yeah, we probably ate out about 50% of the time as yeah, well. Yeah, which was awesome. Yeah, but so prior to the trip, we both left off, you know, near peak improvement season macros. Like I know myself, I was trying to hit close to like 400 grams of carbs per day, kind of closing in on that 3000 calorie mark. You would have been what, 650, 700? 
600 carb. Yeah, 600 carb. And when your caloric requirements are that high and then you are traveling and eating out and stuff like, it's particularly from a carbohydrate component, it's actually kind of difficult, man, to mm. consume that much, especially even out of respect, <laughs> respect and financially. Because I'd say... Yeah, that was the hardest thing for me was... <laughs> I didn't want to be rude and eat all the food, essentially. Yeah. Because, like, it's not cheap when eating out. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Because, like, uh, when you're staying with family members, right? Like, what, are you going to have three serves of dinner? And when someone's only cooked a certain number of potatoes or a certain amount of rice or pasta, it's like, uh, hey, can I finish off the pot? <laughs> or when you are out at a restaurant and, yeah, they give you, like, a little bread bun or something, but you're like, uh, to hit my normal 150 carbs for this meal, I'd need a little bit more bread or a little bit more rice. And you're just like... I don't really, I don't really want to order all of that additional. So mm, it's a, uh, I think given how active we were, most days we're clocking up close to like 20,000 steps and like snorkeling, hiking. Yeah. Yeah. The occasional gym session, but just being on our feet and being out and about. Yeah, definitely. I think some days near maintenance, maybe some days when we had like more high fat meals and stuff like a bunch of American barbecued ribs and we went out to all-you-can-eat sushi and we even got uh, a traditional English breakfast in mm. Oxford which was cool and uh, black pudding is actually really delicious maybe some days we were even in a surplus but I'd say more often than not a low-key deficit yeah I mm. think my favorite food was probably in Cyprus on the last day yeah the mm. last day we went to this um, great Greek restaurant mm. and yeah, I had, what did we have? Some sort of... It was like a lamb shank. Lamb shank it had a yeah. bunch of potatoes around it. And mm. they served us this really nice, freshly made pita bread. Mm. Yeah, delicious. Uh, but yeah, so much good food. I documented everything. I'm going to make like a little highlight reel of our trip on my Instagram account because um, there was just a lot to document. And I just, I, I want to remember the whole thing. It was really special. But yeah, it, it was good. I think you lost like three kilos. So what what weight did you start off on and then come back from on the trip? So I left at pretty much 90 kilos on the dot and I came back at 86.7. Mm, yeah, and that was right after finishing a mini cut down from what, 95? Yeah, I got like went from 95 down to 87.6. Mm. And then I actually came back lighter than the mini cut. <laughs> Even though I was consuming more food, I think it, I think, yeah, it must, it's partly a false low because yeah. of, but interestingly, it's been a few days since then. It's been all of Thursday, Friday, and now Saturday, and my weight hasn't changed despite eating normal amount of carbohydrates. Mm. So I need to uh, increase things. Oh, there you go. Mr. Adaptive over here. And yeah, I, my last weigh in that I did was 68.4 kilograms right before we left. And I came back that first day at 66.4. But again, I think a little bit of that would be artificial uh, just because, mm. you know, just in terms of lower glycogen stores, um, not any creatine, if that even has you retaining any water. <laughs> but yeah, just that average inflammation and residual pump from training. But over time, I think over this next month to two, because it won't be long till I'll be starting prep anyway. Um, kind of getting back closer up to that 68. I don't think it'll take too long. But 
I, I think it's just a good thing, Jack, because we can now, we have that proof under our belts, right? That we can set that example and kind of practice what we preach in that sense to say, hey, you can do bodybuilding to a very high degree, but you can also take a step back and just like experience new parts of the world for a few weeks. And it's not just a guarantee that you're just going to say goodbye to your gains and you're going to say goodbye to your health, you know, and you're going to be in this miserable position when you come home feeling like you've lost something quite the opposite. You've, you've actually gained a whole bunch of life experience and, uh, you actually come back feeling very refreshed and rejuvenated and just really excited to just get back into the thick of things again. Cause mm. it was that first two weeks where when I kind of really stepped outside the bodybuilding bubble and I got to just really kind of think and evaluate everything, which was really nice. And then when I started to ease back into it, coincidentally enough, it started off with a BDU podcast <laughs> and I tuned into a podcast. I had a few to catch up on cause it was, had been a few weeks and, uh, it was almost interesting cause I'd been so out of it for, you know, just two weeks. It doesn't sound like a long time, but for me who lives and breathes this stuff, it was a long time. I'd almost like, have I forgotten part of my identity? <laughs> but I tuned back into this BDU podcast and I almost got, I almost felt like I'd put myself in the shoes of someone who knew a little bit about bodybuilding, but not a huge amount. And I was almost like I was listening to a bodybuilding podcast for the first time, but they were talking about like these really in-depth things about training and competing and like all these nitty gritties. And I was like, wow, this is kind of, this is kind of interesting and neat, but it just reinforced to me that like, holy moly, this is so niche. Yeah. <laughs> so niche. But, um, then by that third week, I think three weeks is a perfect amount of time for annual leave. Makes sense why most people who have regular jobs take a number of weeks away for annual leave. Like when we went to Bali last year for like six days, that wasn't enough for me. <laughs> it wasn't, I, I feel like I need a few weeks away. If I'm going to work like around the clock for a whole year, essentially, I need more than just a few days away to really feel refreshed and rejuvenated. Because it wasn't until that third week where I'm like, I love my life. I love who I am. I love what I do on a daily basis. I'm really excited to get back home and just hit it hard again with everything, with work and training. And I was just, I, I was really ready for it again. But it, it, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. I mm. think everyone will be different in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, it feels really good to be back, which is excellent. And yeah, just now back into the thick of things, essentially. So kind of where to from here, right? What's now? It's, it's June. We're about halfway through the year. We've got the rest of the year to finish off. Mm. Yeah, there's still plenty to do. I think we, we have the tax return coming up <laughs> for starters and we'll be fine <laughs> yeah um, that was just a joke or was it <laughs> but we have season b coming up and we both have some competitors for season b mm -hmm. and that's i'm very much looking forward to that and we've also got tierra's prep that's coming up that won't be too far away mm -hmm. i'm in the final stages of my off season as well uh retrospectively like i've won't be starting prep until April, but probably the final six-ish months of this of this year will be like the final gaining point. After that, it's mainly going to be pre-prep stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be 
freaking awesome moving into everything once again in terms of like in just a few weeks be flying down to Sydney for the WBFF show because I've got a client Charlie who will be competing down there as a first timer in bikini and then we're flying up to Townsville for tropics down to New South Wales and Melbourne and those are for the ICN shows and uh, also going to Japan later this year with Chloe for an IFBB show, which is just going to be tremendous. And yeah, I've got a consult with Joey in about a week and a half from now where we, you know, can really get a solid plan in place for the rest of this year and next year moving forward because man, a few more months and I'm, I'm going to be in prep again, which is crazy to think about, but man, I'm ready. I'm really, really ready now to, uh, I'm just, I'm back feeling super fresh and, um, just ready to finish this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to witnessing it <laughs> yeah. firsthand. If anything, I'm actually really just impressed by us in terms of how quickly we've been able to bounce back or just how we kind of handled jet lag the whole time on the trip. Because uh, some people are really influenced or affected by it. But I feel like you and I... People who have poor sleep schedules and then <laughs> they have jet lag. It's, it's very bad. But because we're so regimented with sleep like it's but wouldn't then you argue that if we're so regimented with sleep then we sh- then we would have been falling asleep at certain times of the day regardless of like following no. our circadian rhythm no because i think being so sleep deprived on the journey back like it mm. allows you to fall asleep straight away mm. like the past three nights i've fallen asleep straight away i haven't even mm. read because i've still been so tired so yeah. I think that's really the only manifestation of jet lag I've had. Well, I think I was the one that had to hold you a little bit accountable on the trip saying, hey, wake up. You're not allowed to sleep yet. Because I think that's something that really helps is that one, wherever you're traveling to, don't have it in your mind of like, oh, where I just came from, it was this time or Mm. whatever. Like, forget about that. You're on a different clock now. Once you land, you just have to say, okay, what time of the day is it right now? Even if in in another time zone, in another place in the world, it's, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning. Right now, it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So it's like immediately get on to that sort of clock, get some sunlight exposure into your eyes, eat at a time that you'd regularly eat, and then go to bed that day at at a regular time. And if you arrive somewhere at the crack of dawn really early in the morning, Like when we got back home from this trip, because we went from Cyprus to London to Vancouver to Brisbane all in one go. It was over 53 hours of traveling and we had 23 hours of layovers, Mm. which was wild. We didn't didn't sleep the day, the whole day before either. Yeah. Because like we left Cyprus in the evening. So we, we didn't. So I think I calculated it over 72 hours. I slept about six hours. Yes. Yeah, like a few intermittent naps Mm. here and there. But we arrived back in Australia at like 6.45 in the morning on Wednesday. And I I know that I didn't take a single nap. Jack started to doze off a few times. I'm like, hey, wake up. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is that you just have to stay awake and you just have to get right back on to that time zone. But that trip back, that was confusing for my circadian rhythm because I was really trying to not think, okay, where I just came from, because traveling over so many different time zones constantly, like just the periods of the day that you're starting to get hungry, it's very strange because you're like, 
I'm really hungry right now, but it's dark outside and my new clock says that it's 1.30 in the morning. Why the hell am I hungry at 1.30 in the morning? Like it was almost weird to eat. So I'd say if there was the whole part of the trip where I truly had to listen to my intuition to be like, I'm hungry and I'm satiated right now, regardless of what time it says, I need to eat or I don't need to eat right now. So that was just a very interesting experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't so hard. I don't think I got hungry once on the whole trip. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I just, I'm just exhausted. Yeah, no. I mean, even aside from flying, like I... Oh, the whole trip? No way. There were times when you must have been like, I could eat. Yeah, I could eat, but I wouldn't say I was hungry. Mm. Like I enjoyed all the food, but which is weird. I don't know what... Why? Especially when I'm flying, I, I never get hungry when I fly. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, I guess uh, that, that's a good thing. Like I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather have an appetite without being hungry rather than being ravenous. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we're both we're both very active. I know it's not the case for everyone. Definitely not trying to put that message out there that if you go on a holiday, I think that you're bound to you know come back a bit lighter than where you left off. I think you and I are just in a unique situation and we have I think to an extent I think underlyingly we still do a very good job yeah, like we were very our... active we trained still mm. and also like intuitively again without thinking we're still very good with our nutrition yeah so it's not like we had dessert we every night mm. like that's what I'm yeah. trying to get at is that it's because we have those lifestyle habits ingrained into us for things. When you get the opportunity to eat something, you're going to order something with some vegetable and some fruit content, right? You're not purposely going to order something that's like crazy high fat, which is a deal breaker for some massive, not a drip of alcohol. So that, uh, that definitely saves you from, um, going overboard in terms mm. of energy intake. Yeah. But Either way, Jack, we are home now. So I wanted to know what is something that you want to improve over this next week? Yeah, so I think it's pretty obvious just getting, continuing to get back into routine with training. I think I've slipped back into work routine incredibly efficiently and same with nutrition. So training just needs to, to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am the exact same. I just, well, it's, it's a given we're going to get back into our normal routines, but it's more so the case of I just, I'm really excited to keep inching back up toward my previous strength levels and then surpass them again. And yeah, just get back really my, my cardiovascular fitness really, and just not be out of breath from lifting weights that feel light. But then at the end of the set, like my heart's just pounding through its chest. Yeah, that's really interesting because I definitely haven't noticed a decrease in fitness. Mm. I'm because you did so many steps. Maybe that's why my fitness is actually higher because mm. I did so much. Uh, no, but what it might have been is because we came right back. It was after that, that those fifty three hours of travel, and I hadn't drunk any caffeine for about a month. Mm. And then I I had my coffee and I had my pre-workout again. And then we went to rigs and I got right under that bar to do lunges. Maybe that was just a recipe for holy moly, Tiara, your heart. (laughs) It's not used to being this stimulated. So um, maybe that's just why I was uh, really finding it hard to bring my heart rate down. So that could have certainly been it. But also just recovery. I, I really appreciate now what I was uh, previously just accustomed to in terms of recovering from high training volumes and training intensity. So I'm excited to be able to do my training program again and um, not pull up nearly as sore and be able to do all of my glute exercises. Yep. 
All right. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, if you are still here, thanks for listening. So we will catch you next week for another episode. And between now and then, adios.